3: Wow. We're on. Good evening, Mr. Real. How are you doing? Why is that Good. document up on the screen?
4: Okay. Say that again. I couldn't hear you through the applause from
3: our audience. I know. It was really, really loud tonight. Yeah, Thank you, everybody. It's great to be here where we always are every Wednesday night. What's that document? What's that?
4: Oh, yeah. Here, let's, uh, let me get let's rid get of rid this. Let's get rid of that stuff. We got yeah, to
3: do a little banter first. Let's do that. About the Browns so me... and why they're not in the Super Bowl.
4: Well, that's because they sucked for, what, two and a half decades at this point. <laughs>
3: well, they're getting better.
4: No, but that's okay. We can, you know, we, we now have as a star, as a star quarterback, a man who has 26 allegations of sort of sexually assault. And, and again, I don't know what the proper, I don't mean sort of like it wasn't sexual assault, but he was alleged as 26 times by 26 different massage therapists of pushing for favors at the end when the women didn't want to give them. And then we gave him the highest NFL guaranteed contract ever of $240 million.
3: Wow. By the way, everybody, I've got to say something about me tonight. Believe it or not, I'm going to say a little bit about me. I have tried going in and out of this program and signing off and signing on. But no matter what I do, it appears that my lips and my voice are not syncing exactly. There's about a half second delay and I've tried everything I can think of to get rid of it. And I can't, so I'm going to have to deal with it tonight, and I hope you will too. I feel like I'm in some kind of Japanese film where I'm speaking Japanese, but the English has been dubbed in. I feel like I should be saying, Gojira! Gojira! We are going to do our show tonight. <laughs> right. See, It's not just my camera. But tonight is a serious subject. Should we make any announcements first about Thrive Down in Your Neck of the Woods, February 24th through 26th, at which you will be appearing with your wife to address the audience, I understand?
4: Yeah, my wife and I will be speaking. You'll be speaking. The Mounts are going to be there. Anthony Miller and uh, I think John DeLynn speaking. And there's just a bunch of other uh, high-profile voices in this Mormon arena that will be there. Um, You can – again, the site had a bunch of – it was a long site. Maybe sometime tonight if you could put that in the comments. But if you just Google Saint George Thrive and the dates February twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, the site comes up. You can get tickets. They're thirty dollars a piece. It feels like they had a whatever the seating was, and I want to say the seating was around maybe three to four hundred. They've gotten about half that so far, which is ahead of pace for last year. So they expect in the last week or two here to have a ton of uh, registrations made. And they felt like seating might be on short supply. So if folks, if you want to go to that, you're going to want to get tickets uh, ASAP.
3: Well, wait till word gets out that I will be appearing on Sunday. I expect there to be a large number of cancellations. Yeah. And
4: yeah, yeah, no, I don't think so. Thank and uh, I think you'll sell out a few <laughs> more seats. Um, we should probably at least note, I'll put this up on the screen. We had it up to kind of begin with. Uh this episode, we're going to do the follow up on the uh, Corden child who uh, passed away in Florida in 2016. Uh, because we're going to be talking about issues relating to child abuse and the death of a child, uh, we would just like to note some viewers may find the following uh, conversation disturbing. This obviously isn't suitable for minors. Viewer discretion is uh, advised, and this may not be the if you're if you're if you get anxiety or. Uh, struggle to deal with these kinds of topics, this may not be the right episode for you. Feel free to just go find something else and and come back and see us next week. Uh, RFM, anything you want to add uh, to the conversation here on this part?
3: Sure. Back in August, we did our first episode relating to this issue, and that had to do with the release or the finding on the internet of the child fatality summary relating to Derek Corden, We went over that in some detail back in August, and yet there was a great deal of information that we did not have and questions that were not answered by that child fatality summary, which is a four-page document. So what I did was I did a Freedom of Information Act request or a public disclosure request of the Orange County, Florida Sheriff's Department, which was the agency tasked with investigating this case. I filed that with them on August 30th of last year 2022 and waited five months until i got a response and the thing that was interesting about this is that you can do this actually you do this electronically that's the way it's set up and you can actually see your request move up the chain as they are answering other requests and as they fulfill requests that are ahead of you, it's a first come first serve basis. Then those go off the screen and yours goes up higher. Now, what happened was that my request ended up going to the top of the screen and being opened. It shows it's open by showing an open file icon as opposed to a closed file icon. And it sat there for about a month or so just to open, which is supposed to signify that they're working on it. And then it continued to be open but then started moving back down the screen again as they answered other requests that had come in after mine. So that was unusual. I don't know what was behind that. I'm just reporting that that is the case. So after five months though, I did receive a response to my request, although that response I think was inadequate. We'll talk about that later. However, it did answer some questions that we had from the child fatality summary. Alone, And we'll talk about what it is that I received tonight because we promised that we would do that. I think that the audience will find it of interest. I do want to make it clear that we are not here to allege any crime against any person during this podcast. What we are doing is reporting what it is that has been made public to us by the Orange County Sheriff's Office. And we're passing it along to you now that it is public. Now, the interesting thing is that the person, the records custodian, whoever it is who was responding to my request, did not redact pretty much anything except for one investigator's home address. They left in a lot of names that actually we thought should have been redacted. They left in the home address of the Corden family, which of course should have been redacted. So, I'm not sure who's in charge there or what's going on behind the scenes, but we will have something more to say about that at the end of the show. However, what we did was we went ahead and redacted the documents, 20 in number, that we received from the sheriff's office so that we are trying to do our best to comply with the law, which they didn't really do a good job of complying with.
4: Yeah, it it seemed strange to me that what. Once we see the overview, once we go through all these, what we got and what was done with them to prepare them to come to us and then trying to figure out why it sat for five months and other things got tackled when having seen what we've gotten, it seems like it should have taken no longer than any of the other, uh, any of the other requests. And, And there are other problems which we'll get into as we go through this.
3: Yes. And to be specific, what I did receive was 20 pages of documents of police reports, most of which are actually non-substantive in nature. But we're going to show you everything that we have, although we have redacted things and we'll make sure it's clear what it is that we've redacted. In other words, if it's a name of a detective, we'll put detective number one. You did all the work on this bill. Thank you very much for doing that. And you will see that there's a difference in the redactions that we do versus the one redaction they did because of the coloring, I think it is. You can tell it's different. We'll we'll uh, point that out. So I received 20 pages of reports, 241 photographs. And those photographs were of the hotel room where the incident occurred at the embassy suites, we found out it was an Embassy suites hotel and 241 photos. They're really not that remarkable, but we will have a few of those to show. Not all of them tonight. 241 photos is just not going to be worth it because they're not that interesting. And that's uh, quite common because when you're in law enforcement, you got one chance to document the scene with photographs. So you want to make sure that if anything, you're going to overdo it. And I think that they followed that standard procedure here. Um, And a four minute video. We received a four minute video, which we will be playing at the end of tonight's show. And this has to do with the interrogation or a second, apparently at least, interrogation of Hannah Corden, the mother of Derek Corden. Okay, so I think that's probably enough of an introduction. Are you ready to go ahead, Bill?
4: I am. Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to put up document number one.
3: Yes, this is the cover sheet from the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Which is just telling us that certain things have been redacted. And it's funny that they say home addresses have been redacted when only one home address was redacted. But regardless, this is not an important sheet as far as what's uh, been released. It's just a cover sheet.
4: Yeah. Essentially it goes through all the things they could withhold from you. And then they mark the ones that are actually part of that file. And as you noted, the only thing they marked was the personal information and Again, without being um, extremely, uh, I guess, extremely siding in one direction, whoever did the records essentially left all of that one in
3: anyway. Yeah, and we'll get to that. Okay, yeah. so you're ready for page two, Bill?
4: Yep, let's do it. So number two.
3: All right, this is titled a report routing and affidavit form. There are several of these in the 20-page documents that I received. All these are, are documents that allow the person who's making the report to swear as to its accuracy. Where I practice, they usually do that in the paragraph at the beginning or the bottom of the document itself here in Orange County, Florida. Apparently they have a separate sheet for that. It's called a jurat, which basically says I'm telling you that what I'm enclosing is true and correct. You have, by the way, circled in green, those green circles or green marks are from bill. They're from us. They did not appear on the original document. And also, you can see some of the um, redactions that Bill did, and we have detective number one, and down there is a signature of detective number one, and this is his jurat swearing to the accuracy of it. But you circled that green thing.
4: Yeah, let me just note. So I just want to show, in page one, the check mark is from them, the green circle is from me. All along the evening, all the green circles on the pages will be from me. And then almost all of the redactions are redactions that we made on our end. Um, yes. And so we'll note maybe the one instance where it's not, but essentially all of them are. Um, and so anyway.
3: And what you have circled there indicates that this was referred to the homicide division.
4: Yeah, just just noting every time that it's connected to what the police and medical experts seem to be pointing to.
3: Yes, and also of interest is that this is dated 12 10 2016 so this was done apparently contemporaneous with the event which was really probably the day that Derek passed away at the hospital yeah
4: okay and and other than that I don't think there's anything super important on this one it's just the page two we want to make sure you guys see all of them
3: right all right so the next
4: one whoops let's see here
3: page number three Yeah.
4: Now, this one was a it was a full size page, but the entire two thirds of the page at the bottom was blank. So in order to make it a little more uh, visible on the screen and to enlarge it, we just cut out the um, section that had writing and print on it. So uh, anyway.
3: Right. There's really not too much information on here. Once again, detective number one is mentioned in a couple of places that's been redacted. Also, the child services rep, who was apparently the first one to call detectives after herself, I think, probably being called to the hospital, talking with doctors and thinking that this needs to be investigated formally.
4: Other than, you know, the medical side, you know, doctors in a hospital, they're not law enforcement. This child services rep would have been the first uh, government representative who would have been uh, in connection with this case.
3: Right. I think that's true. And over there, that big black box to the right and down below That is where we have redacted the birth dates and other information of Nolan Corden and Hannah Corden, the parents of Derek Corden. They're listed as parent one and parent two. Yeah. So anything else on this one? Not for me.
4: Okay. Number four.
3: Okay. Now we finally get to a narrative report from an officer. And there's some information above as to what this is relating. Once again, the child services rep is blanked out or redacted. Other information is redacted. But do you have anything you want to say about that, Bill? You redacted all of that, didn't you?
4: All I everything, race, uh, sex. I mean, again, we know who we're dealing with in terms of the the people we're covering in this story. Their names are important uh, for the reporting purposes. But everything else, addresses, gender, race, sex, birth dates, social security numbers, phone numbers, all of that stuff we tried to get rid of.
3: Okay so if you want to go down now to the actual narrative where we can get to some of the information it begins Again, under this,
4: the green underlines are me
3: yes all this redaction is from you it, it, So put the green, green lines as well yes and the re- green lines yeah, yeah sorry that's okay by the way i i'm always hesitant about putting green lines on anything or circling anything because my lawyer training comes into play and if this were an exhibit that was going to the jury, that would not be allowed because it would be considered to be unnecessarily drawing attention to certain aspects of this document. However, this isn't a legal case we're presenting. And there are certain things that you and I both wanted to underline so that they would stand out because we find them significant within the sea of language. Yeah. So are you ready to begin? Yep. Do you want me to, or you want to read it? Would you read the first paragraph? Sure will.
4: On December 9th, 2016, I responded, and this is, by the way, is the child, uh, no, no, sorry, this is, let me make sure here, reporter, child services rep, correct?
3: Oh, I believe okay. that's correct.
4: Yeah. Okay, so on December 9th, 2016, I responded to 92 West Miller Street, Orlando, Florida, Arnold Palmer Hospital, in reference to a two-year-old with head trauma, I met with the Department of Children and Families investigator, uh, and that's the Child Services rep. So this must be the this must be the officer. I just want to be clear. So I'm I'm
3: pausing. Okay, I'm going to look at the, the one. unredacted one, and I will be right with you here in a second. Oh, and by the way, up there, that is some of the redaction that was provided. I think that's the only page that has redactions on it, and they redacted things related to the Child Services rep representative. So this is from. You know, it's not even signed, this particular document.
1: So I'm going to
3: yeah. assume yes. this
4: is law enforcement.
3: Oh, it is. This is a yeah. law enforcement narrative report. Okay. So hopefully we'll figure it out. There are a number of detectives yeah. who were involved in this. But so, apparently so this is that. the first one who's being called to the scene on the night of December 9th, or the early in the morning probably, yeah. December 9th, 2016.
4: All right, let me do this again. So on December 9th, 2016, I responded to, again, Arnold Palmer Hospital in reference to a two-year-old with head trauma I met with the Department of Children and Families Investigator, uh, the child services rep at the hospital. She informed me that the child was in intensive care room 2006-2006, along with his parents. Two-year-old Derek Corden, his parents Nolan and Hannah Corden, and other family members are visiting Orlando from Utah. They are staying at the Embassy Suites located at 8100 Lake Street, Orlando. Uh, zip code three, two, eight, three, six, Mr. And Mrs. Corden along with Derek and their other child, their other son and Mr. Corden's brother. And we've got that name redacted are staying in room five thirty three.
3: If we can stop here for just Please. a second, I'm just going to say that this other son is a baby. That's a one-year-old son. We've redacted the name. Okay. But that's a one-year-old son who was also with him together with two year and eight month old Derek. But one thing that we learned from this, that was not uh, mentioned in the child fatality summary is that there was another adult in this suite with Hannah and Nolan Corden and their two young children. And that was Mr. Corden's brother, who is apparently a young adult. Okay. And or then, perhaps a, 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 a teenager, um, an older teenager, older yeah. teenager.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Older teenager, young adult. Um, as you pointed out, this is the first time we hear of that there is a third adult or, or older person in the, in the room uh, where this whole episode takes place. And then the very next sentence it says is the other family members are staying in room 532. We knew that they were in the same hotel. We could surmise that from the documents and the language that was in them, but we didn't know exactly how close in the hotel. It could have been different floors. It could have been further down the hall. This is the first time where we have clear evidence that they were in the very next room and most hotels work with odd numbers on one side and even on the other. So this would have been the room right across the hallway.
3: It looks that way, yes. And that's where Bonnie Corden, and if she was there with her husband, which is likely, but it hasn't been determined yet, I believe her husband's name is Derek as well. Mm-hmm. And this would also be the room where from the child fatality summary, we learned that Nolan Corden's sister was also apparently staying, and she is a registered nurse. Once again, we get that information from the child fatality summary that we covered last August. None of that particular information about the sister or her being a registered nurse or where she was staying is mentioned in the reports that I received in response to my request.
4: Right. It uh, continues, Mr. and Mrs. Corden were sleeping in one bed, and Derek was sleeping in the other bed, Derek's brother was sleeping at the foot of Derek's bed in a carrier. Nolan's brother, the again the older teenager, young adult, was which sleeping- we're presuming,
3: by the way. Sorry. Yes, I just we, wanted to throw that in there.
4: We are, um, uh, yes. I don't guess I don't want to add anything else to that. Um, okay. Nolan's brother was sleeping in the living room portion of the suite. Um, All right. Do you want okay.
3: Okay, so I'll take over here, and if you'll spell me, and I'll spell you, and we'll make our way through this together. Okay. I spoke with Mr. Corden first, which would be uh, Nolan, apparently. He said, when Derek was approximately one year of age, he had his adenoids removed due to him having issues breathing. Mr. Corden further stated the tonsils were not removed at the same time due to the age of his son, but would be later removed. Mr. Corden stated Derek was snoring louder than usual this past week. They spent all day, December 8th, 2016, at Hollywood Studios, went to Disney Springs, and then stopped at McDonald's on the way back to their hotel. Mr. Corden said Derek seemed fine, but tired. At approximately 0000, zero, zero, zero hours, that means midnight straight up, at approximately midnight, On December 9th, 2016, Mr. Corden awoke to Derek whimpering and thought he was having a bad dream. Mr. Corden said his son was not responsive, so he lifted an eyelid and became aware his pupil was dilated. Mrs. Corden, that would be Hannah, Mrs. Corden stated she was holding Derek in an attempt to calm him down since he was screaming. According to Mr. Corden, at this time, Derek's breathing became more labored and started to gasp for air. Neither Mr. Corden nor Mrs. Corden could explain Derek's eventual medical findings.
4: Yeah. Um, What I notice here is that what Mr. Corden says he essentially wakes up to uh, Derek whimpering. Mrs. Corden wakes up to him or she's holding him while he's screaming. Um, You noted in the first episode that we did that covered this, the amount of breath that one requires to scream is significant. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Um, They both seem to note again, I want to just recognize there's reasonable there's reasons for why someone might wake up at a different time. And the person who's having a health event would be in a different state at a different moment when a different person wakes up. Right. So please don't take anything I'm saying. here. I just want to note that they're describing the sort of reaction that Derek is having as being different from me. They're both stating a different state and, and then uh, for it to go from screaming to labored to gasping seems to happen quite quickly.
3: Yes. So are you ready to go with the next paragraph, yeah, Mr. I'll do Real? That.
4: Yep. The decision was made for Mrs. Corden to drive Derek again, Hannah, to drive Derek to Dr. Phillips Hospital. And I just want to note here, I've got it. Let me pull up. Give me just a moment. I just want to pull up here. Uh, I did just a quick Google search. This was light traffic. So I, you know, I tried to go off of light traffic because we're talking uh, midnight, 30, one o'clock in the morning. So it's a 12 minute drive from uh, the 8100 Lake Street, Orlando, the embassy fleet uh, suites to Orlando Health, Dr. Uh, Phillips Hospital. So a 12 minute drive um, in this Florida city that they're in. Again, this isn't where they live. This is where they were on vacation.
3: Yes. And by the way, this is bad writing, I think, because if you want to put facts forward, which is what you should be doing in a narrative report, you should not be using passive tenses. You should be saying not the decision was made. You should be saying who made the decision because that's of significance. But we don't find that out from this narrative. Yeah.
4: No, we don't. Um, Okay. So the decision was made for Mrs. Corden to drive Derek to Dr. Phillips hospital while Mr. Corden arranged for his one year old son to be looked after by other family members. According to the nurses station at Arnold Palmer hospital, five minutes of CPR was performed on Derek at Dr. Phillips hospital. And the decision was made for Derek to be transported via ambulance to Arnold Palmer hospital.
3: You see, this is interesting to me, especially in light of the fact that not only are Nolan's parents, Bonnie and Derek, that's his parent, his dad, Derek, across the room at the NBC Suites, together with apparently a grown sister who's a registered nurse, but he also has his brother who's in the same suite with them. So I'm having a hard time imagining why it would take any time at all. More than a minute or two in order for Nolan to make arrangements for the one year old to be taken care of. By the way, all of this has. Let me put it this way all of this supposition or commentary is, of course, ignoring the obvious fact that they did not call 911. Yeah. Um... Nolan Corden does not have to make any arrangements or take any time to have the one-year-old looked after if they would simply pick up the phone and call 911
4: you know there should be at least something said here that you know we tend to have different parts of our brain functioning and when we're in high stress moments uh, we don't always follow the rational path of decisions that's that's a reality in this particular instance um Regardless of how people draw conclusions, this seems, this seems a little strange to me in that if I have a child who's having a serious health event where their breathing becomes either faint or gone completely, as you're pointing out, calling 911 is what we've all been taught and trained and raised up to do since we were little kids. And on top of that, as you mentioned, it's no big deal at all to grab this other, certainly by whatever age he is, he's certainly old enough to, to watch the little child. And that's, so that's one scenario, obviously 911, a scenario, get your brother who's in the room to help. That's a scenario running across the hallway and pounding again. I can't answer for what other people would do in these moments of chaos. And I've never had a moment of chaos like this. But I'd like to think that I would run across the hall and be pounding on my parents' door, screaming at the top of my lungs, not caring if I wake up the entire hotel.
3: Um, Right. And I think that a lot of people would agree with that assessment. So having said that, it does appear from the last line of that paragraph that you read. By the way, if you visualize this, what you have is Hannah Corden by herself driving to a hospital in a city that she's apparently never been in before. Maybe she's been there before. Unlikely she's been to that hospital. They live in Utah. They're there on a trip. That's the point I'm making. With her unresponsive two-year-old in the car with her, she's got to drive. There's nobody else mentioned in the car with her to even look after Derek or tend to him or hold him unless Hannah's holding him in his lap while she's driving. This seems unusual to say the least. So the description is, is that Derek goes from screaming to unresponsive. According to Nolan, he pulls up his eyelid and sees his eyelid. He goes to unresponsive in the hospital room. They wait for a period of time, which may be as long as 53 minutes before Hannah leaves for the hospital. And let me see here. What was the point that I was going to make with that is that he's unresponsive when he leaves and he's unresponsive when he gets there. In fact, he's in full cardiac arrest. By the time he gets to the hospital, his heart is no longer working, and they do five minutes of CPR on Derek at Dr. Phillips Hospital, the first location after Hannah finally drives him there, and they bring him around. I don't think that they were able necessarily to get any brain function going, but they do get the heartbeat started again, and the decision was made. He's got to get out of here to a specialized unit to Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital, and that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah, um, a, a mom
4: in a moment that her kid is having this sort of health event and driving the child to the hospital, and not and not having another adult with—I I, just—I can't imagine. Uh, just that feels like a horrifying scene.
3: Yes, it does, and and it just raises to my mind the question: if the grandparents, if Bonnie and her husband were aware of this. Or the sister of Nolan, the registered nurse were aware of this, wouldn't they volunteer? Wouldn't they insist on jumping in the car if not coming up with the bright idea of calling 911 instead? Wouldn't they insist on this? Which leads me to wonder whether they were notified of this at all. But once again, there's nothing about that in the police report. So that ends up in conjecture. Yeah. Okay. You want me to take this next paragraph? Please. Dr. A. So we have about three or four doctors who are mentioned here, and this is the first doctor. We're going to call him Dr. A as opposed to the one, two, three system we'll be using with the the detectives. So Dr. A was the admitting doctor at Arnold Palmer hospital. Derek has retinal hemorrhaging. A blood clot was removed from the right side of his head and his brain has shifted due to the amount of blood inside his skull. There are no other signs of trauma to his head or body. There is, however, a bruise on Derek's torso. So the only thing I wanted to say about this is that even though it says a blood clot was removed from the right side of his head, it doesn't sound to me like that's from the exterior of his head. Once again, this is being written not by a medical personnel, but by law enforcement and when I look at the fact there are no other signs of trauma to his head or body. And really, if you have a blood clot on the side of your head on the outside, it's not typically noteworthy that you clean up a wound and remove a, a blood clot. What it sounds like is that it was on the inside, although it's impossible to determine for sure from this report. Your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I, I think it's an internal injury, whether, you know, a. Uh, Uh, taking the skull away, essentially, and this being sort of the way in which they first try to treat the issues and try to relieve some of the pressure.
3: Right. And they do a, um, I don't know if it's a crane, craniectomy or whatever it is, where they cut off a portion of the skull or at least try and get some uh, passageway into the affected area of the brain in order to relieve the pressure and to release the blood that has been accumulating since whatever it was happened that caused this trauma.
4: And just to note, which I think this is saying is that, you know, this blood clots one thing, but outside of that, there's a, a bruise on Derek's torso. And otherwise the exterior of his body, uh, doesn't have any noticeable, uh, trauma or markings on it.
3: Thank you. Maven's correcting me. It says it's craniotomy. Thank you so much, Maven. Really appreciate you. Um, and also this idea, there was a bruise on Derek's torso. I think that's kind of meaningless at least to me because kids get bruises all the time it doesn't appear to have any relationship to what happened to his head to cause this trauma
4: yeah agreed
3: are you ready for the next page all right let's go to number five okay and this is the last part of that first pages report orange county sheriff's office domestic crimes detective number two was made aware of this incident and responded to Arnold Palmer Hospital. Orange County Sheriff's Office homicide detective number three responded as well. Investigator, that's the child rep, said a report would be generated on her end under case number two zero one six three four 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 seven one Embassy Suites room number 533 was secured as soon as possible. And then it mentions attachments are two sworn statements. Anything you want to mention about that, Bill? Nope. Uh, No, no, nothing at all. Okay. Here is the next page, which once again, is just a portion of the page. Everything else is blank. We're not hiding anything from you except for what we have redacted, which we've already mentioned. And this is an incident report um, and some things like uh, personal information you have redacted. Yeah.
4: Yep, nothing special there. So we can go to the next
5: one.
3: Okay, this is another jurat. We have several of these once again swearing to the accuracy of what it is that's being attached. This is law enforcement officer number 4. So there were gr- great many law enforcement officers who were involved in this investigation right off the bat and also subsequently, which is an indication of the seriousness with which the Orange County Sheriff's Office took this investigation. You've circled something in green. Did you want to mention that bill?
4: Just that the box marked is child abuse. Uh, It's the only box uh, marked in that section.
3: Right. And by the way, the date on this is 12-9-2016. So once again, the timeline that uh, the family is at Disney World at the park on December 8th. And at midnight or shortly thereafter, something happens. Now, that's going into December 9th. Mm -hmm. And then the following day, December 10th, it appears that Derek was Uh, pronounced dead. Whether he was taken off life support, we don't know, but that appears to be the date of his decease, December 10th. This being dated 12-9-2016, it makes sense that this would be marked as being sent to the Child Abuse Division of the Orange County Sheriff's Office, as opposed to the Homicide Division, as it was marked in the previous jurat at a later date after Derek had been deceased.
4: And and just to note, in the first episode, we made mention of Bonnie in her talks talking about being by the bedside of Derek for several days. Our hunch, although we don't have any, yeah, three days. So we don't have any uh we don't have any confirmation of this, but our common sense, our hunch is that he's pronounced deceased, but they leave him on life support for a few more days, and hence nothing is out of the ordinary, most likely, from what Bonnie stated.
3: Yeah, I, I don't think you're pronounced deceased until you're deceased. Yeah.
1: So
4: I guess we'll uh, we'll wait for more information, huh? Hopefully. All right. So the next one, uh, eight.
3: Mm-hmm. So once again, this is from law enforcement officer number four, confidential. What does it say up there? Homicide? Or does it so, say? Yeah,
4: confidential homicide.
3: Homicide. And... If we go down there where it says okay so this detective's writing about on 12 9 2016 at 1200 hours now 1200 would be noon Mm -hmm. four zeros is midnight 1200 is noon so it's the following day 12 9 2016 at noon i responded to embassy suites hotel to relieve detective number five and then it says md no i'm sorry we figured out that that was medical medical detective detective. yeah all right so this is law enforcement not a doctor However, they may have some medical training. I expect they do. So MD number five was securing room 533 as a possible crime scene. At twelve fifteen hours, 15 minutes later, forensic investigator, and now that's investigator number six, entered the room to conduct her investigation. She remained in the room until she concluded her investigation at 1330 or 30 p.m. I contacted detective number three who advised me the room could be released. I had no other duties regarding this investigation. This is a report about someone who was simply put there to secure the room, make sure nothing was tampered with until it could be processed, which in this case means apparently 241 photographs were taken, I don't think there was, there was a little bit else done, but we'll get to that. It didn't result in anything.
4: Right, no. Okay, number
3: nine. And here's another jurat. So I told you there's a bunch of jurats in this thing and a lot of these little square things, which is the only thing on the page. So I think that really of substance, we got less than 10 pages of actual reports here. But here's another jurat and they have on this one, Redacted that square of black beside Corden Hanna, and underneath it, it says abuse felony. However, if we compare that to the other jurats, which are not redacted, we know that Hannah Corden is being listed as a suspect, and the crime that's being listed is felony abuse or whatever it was it said before you started changing the. Oh, sorry, I was going to (laughs) go. That's okay. That's all Uh, right whatever it was, we'll get back to it here in a second. You can
4: see it says defendant in charge on the other mm-hmm. ones in that spot.
3: And, um, right. So as of 12, 10, 2016 defendant says in a, and the charge is general investigation. Yeah. And if we go back to this, well, it does have homicide circled, but if you go back to this other one, this other jurat, yeah. which is filled out by the officer who's attaching the police reports and they can call it whatever they deem to be, accurate in their own mind. Now it's, it's blocked out. So where it says suspect or defendant Hannah Corden and charge abuse felony.
4: Yeah. And um, we tried to figure out what was going on here. Again, I'd only be guessing, but it seems as though what they're trying to do is redact our ability to draw a conclusion, which is intentional that there was any sort of charge made that this essentially by redacting that section where it said uh charges, we're left to not see that and hence not draw the conclusion that a charge was ever made, which I don't, I don't believe ever was.
3: Yeah, I it's still I'm still up in the air about that. By the way, you can see on this page that the black that is sort of gray was done by the Orange County Sheriff's Office. The black that is really deep black and has detective number two, that's the kind of redaction that Bill did on these documents. By the way that it says referred to, and we've seen that in two prior jurats, but on this one, they went and redacted the place to which it was referred. But we can just look at a prior jurat and figure out what it is that they redacted. And the only reason they redacted is because it was checked there.
4: Yeah. So I can go back here and try to find one of these other ones. Whoop. Whoop, That's not it. Let me go back here.
3: There you go. So for whatever reason, they what it was was report review. You see that's in the same place that the redaction occurred? So that right. box was checked, and then they redacted it. But I'm not sure why, but that's what they did.
4: Yeah. All right. So now.
3: Uh, so if we can go back to that jurat that we were at before. Yeah. You're doing great, Ooh. Bill, by the way. Thank you so much I'm for trying.
4: Doing this. Okay. So here's the one we're at.
3: Okay, so this is detective number two's jurat, and now we'll get to the next page, which hopefully will be a, no, once again, it's an incident report, so it's just um, uh, some boxes that they have to type in, and it's not a narrative. Hopefully, that'll be on the next page. This one, however, is detective number three, listing it as felony abuse, and says it's major case homicide description, aggravated child abuse. It says ABU. I expect that's abuse. And then down there, the other green circle you have, what does that say, Bill?
4: Um, Extent of injury, serious. Domestic violence, yes.
3: Okay. So we're ready now to go to the next page. All right. Number 11. Ah, here we've got some actual information. So once again, there's a number of Green circles at the top. Do you want to say anything about those? It's sort of repeating the same kind of things. It is. One new
4: one here is crime code, aggravated battery, um, but essentially homicide, felony abuse.
3: Okay. So this is written by Orange County Sheriff's Domestic domestic Crimes Detective, Detective Number 2. Thank you, Detective Number 2, for identifying who the heck is writing this report. You should get a raise. Mm -hmm. So this one starts on December 9th, 2016 at approximately 7.30 a.m., I, Orange County Sheriff's Office Domestic Crimes Detective, number two, was contacted by the Orange County Sheriff's Office Communications Center. So this is like dispatch. I was informed that Deputy First Class, that's number one, Detective number one, was requesting to speak with the on-call child abuse detective. I contacted DFC, which is Detective First or Deputy First Class. That's also Detective number one. Via phone, and he advised he was dispatched to 92 West Miller Street, Arnold Palmer Hospital, to conduct a possible child neglect investigation that occurred to the victim while in Orange County Sheriff's Office jurisdiction. Yep. Are you ready to um, do the second paragraph?
4: Yep. I respond. By the way, so everybody knows, i
3: sorry, I just want to say oh, yeah. uh, we had talked with Maven about her throwing in and reading. Alternate paragraphs. She feels like she's not up to that tonight, and she's very busy behind the scenes and correcting my medical pronunciation and terminology. Thank you for that again.
4: I responded to Arnold Palmer Hospital and met with uh, Deputy First Class Detective Number One, who was located on the second floor in a staff break room. Detective One told me that a two-year, eight-month-old identified as Derek Corden was originally brought to the Dr. Phillips Hospital by his mother who he identified as Hannah Corden. When Derek arrived at Dr. Phillips hospital, his lips were blue. He was not breathing and he did not have a pulse. The emergency room medical staff performed CPR and within approximately five minutes was able to get a heartbeat. They continued to care for Derek until they could safely transfer him to the Arnold Palmer hospital for children.
3: Right. So Five minutes minimum, and probably longer than that, Derek had no heartbeat. So, I mean, even in five minutes, you're in risky territory, but longer yeah. than that, you revive the heart. There's going to be problems with the lack of oxygen to the brain. Yeah. And that appears to be what happened here, as well as the swelling or the shifting of the brain due to the the bleed that was going on inside Derek's skull.
4: Yeah. and. Again, having only one person in the car driving him essentially eliminates any possibility that anyone, even without health training, you know, uh, um, qualified health training, most of us still got, you know, CPR classes in a health class or whatnot. So again, if you reach out to the family across the hall or the sibling in the room, and again, we know that there was a nurse sister in the other room, it, it... Again, we can't know whether anything would have made a difference or not, but it certainly wouldn't have hurt to have had a, another person in that car who had some health training or could have at least attempted CPR.
3: Yes. Or just freaking call 911. Yeah. Yep. Your turn, I think.
4: All right. So I think we're, um, when oh, Derek, is it my turn, Did if you, you read that is, last paragraph, Bill? your turn. Yeah. Okay.
3: It's turn. Right here. When Derek arrived at Arnold Palmer Hospital, he was seen by Doctor A. So once again, the one we referred to before, intensive care physician is who he was. Doctor A performed surgery on Derek to relieve pressure on his brain. That's the craniotomy that uh, we were talking about. Derek was transferred to the second floor room two zero zero six. Doctor A continued to monitor Derek's progress after the surgery. When I arrived at the hospital. Once again, this is the detective who's writing this. Um, When I arrived at the hospital, Derek was in room 2006 recovering from surgery. Dr. A was attending other patients and conducting rounds. I waited to speak with Dr. A to get his prognosis for Derek's recovery.
4: According to Dr. A, Derek did not have any brain activity and he did not believe that he would survive. I then notified the on call homicide detective and spoke with Detective Number Three. Detective Number Three responded to the hospital and met with me on the second floor.
3: Yes, and some of these are, may seem a bit out of order. I'm not sure there's any specific order you could put them in that would make complete sense out of it in a chronological fashion. These are the nature of police reports being done by multiple police officers. We have presented these and are presenting these with a couple of exceptions, which we'll mention, like the slide about the the Google map search you did to show how far it was from the, the embassy suites to the first hospital. Uh, but we're presenting them in the order in which they were received. Correct. So... Okay, so um, according to Dr. A, oh, you just read that. Now, Dr. B, a second doctor from the Child Advocacy Center was also notified and he came to the hospital. Dr. B reviewed the case and then conferred with Dr. A, the admitting physician. After the two spoke, they met with detective number three and me. They informed us that Derek's injuries were not caused by a medical condition. Uh, You remember that Nolan Corden previously was talking about different minor medical conditions that Derek had been allegedly suffering prior to this. And what the doctors are saying is this was not caused by a medical condition. This was something that had been inflicted upon him. That's from the report. This was something that had been inflicted upon Derek. They said the bleeding on the side of the head was in several different areas indicating it was not just a ruptured blood vessel. So once again, this bleeding on the side of the head that appears to be interior to the skull, it was not just a ruptured blood vessel. That's the only way I can make sense out of that that language. This type of bleeding indicates it was was from sort of blow. I think there's supposed to be a sum in there. This type of bleeding indicates it was from some sort of blow or possibly from being severely shaken. So this appears to be the two doctors opinion after conferring together and reviewing the case
4: just to note in the first episode I had uh, away from the episode prior to it I had had a conversation with uh, the deputy medical examiner in, completely outside of mormonism and her name uh, was a dr peacock mm-hmm. dr peacock informed me that her uh looking at the description of the trauma to Derek that she felt like it was most likely uh, some sort of physical blow to Derek, but it could have been in a, like a, in a worst case scenario, like the, the sort of shaking being a worst case, like the the most Im- imaginable kind of shaking. She even said like you you would instinctively know that harm is being done to a child if they were shaken to that degree. And I just want to note here that the report seems to agree with that it seems like they start off leaning towards some sort of blow or the secondary explanation possibly from being severely shaken matches very closely with what Dr. Peacock said.
3: Right. And if I'm interpreting this correctly to mean that there was no exterior injury to the head of Derek, it was on the the right side, I believe it was uh, where the interior blood was collecting. If I'm correct in interpreting in that way, then that would seem to mitigate against there being a blow to the exterior of his head and that the injuries had to be caused some other way. At least that's my take on it.
4: Yeah, and to note that they're saying that there are several different areas of trauma, hence it couldn't have just been a single ruptured blood vessel. In other words, you wouldn't be, to suggest that like a freak medical instance, such as let's say an aneurysm or something of that sort, what you'd be pointing to here is saying that there are multiple ones happening at once. Hence, that's the reason for saying like, this isn't, this isn't a, a medical condition because there's multiple areas that seem to have been damaged at the same time, uh, indicating it was not just a ruptured blood vessel.
3: Right. And in the child fatality summary, it included the detail that the vasculature was determined to be intact. And this would probably have been either when they're doing the initial surgery or later on during the autopsy. And from that I interpret it to mean that the blood vessels were intact and that there was no evidence of a an aneurysm. Yeah. That was present. Correct. So is the next one yours?
4: Detective number three and I conducted interviews of the family members to try to determine what could have caused this injury after we completed all the interviews. Detective number three asked Hannah Corden if she would be willing to do a reenactment of how she woke Derek up.
3: Can we I, go right there for a second?
4: Yeah. you. That'll focus. be
3: important because yeah. the four minutes of video that was provided to us was of this reenactment that law enforcement added to do. Now, note that this is after they have completed all the interviews of the family members. I would presume that would include Hannah. It would include... Nolan It would probably include Nolan's brother. It would probably include Bonnie and her husband, as well as Nolan's sister, the RN. At a minimum, their investigation would include interviews of these people. So it's after all of those interviews have been completed now that the detective, number three, asks Hannah Corden if she would be willing to do a reenactment of how she woke Derek up.
4: I was recording the reenactment on my agency issued iPhone when Nolan Corden entered the room and told us she was not participating any longer. After the reenactment, Detective Number 3 and I were standing in the main hallway when Nolan approached us and told us if we wanted to speak with anyone else in the family, it would be with legal counsel present.
3: Okay. Now, the reason I made such a big deal about that first thing is because we don't have any video or any information about what it was that the family members who were all interviewed by law enforcement said during those interviews. That's a huge omission on the part of the Orange County Sheriff's Office in responding to my public disclosure request. I think it's also important to put into context the fact that when Nolan approaches the detectives and tells them if we wanted to speak with anyone else in the family, it would be with legal counsel present. This is after, apparently, he has conducted or submitted to an entire interview with law enforcement after Hannah has submitted to an entire interview with law enforcement and after all the other family members have submitted to an entire interview with law enforcement, we're talking about hours that would be involved here in all these interviews. And I only say that because a lot of times people go, um, well, they get suspicious if someone finally says, look, uh, if you want to do this any longer, you we're going to need to have legal counsel present. First off, that's not anything that's suspicious in my mind. Okay. But also it's important to keep this in context. This is after what must have been hours of interviews going on in an extremely stressful situation. This ends up being about three o'clock in the afternoon when this is finally happening. And I'm sure these people have had no sleep at all that night. They're highly stressed, they're exhausted. And I just wanna say, I don't see anything unreasonable with somebody at that point saying, hey, look, we've kinda had enough here and no more questions unless we got legal counsel present.
4: Yes, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that Nolan uh, is in um, is a lawyer. If I'm not mistaken, and uh, hence he would at least on some level understand kind of the basic rights, and like you're saying, to uh, to to stand by as everyone is interviewed, um, I think speaks to some degree of their ability to, or wanting to try to figure this out. Right. And um, his uh, stating at the end uh, that they wouldn't do any more conversation without legal counsel present doesn't, as you said, doesn't really stand out to you. It seems reasonable at that point that knowing where this was going, that anyone innocent, guilty of anything would invoke that if they uh, were being wise about uh, how they handled themselves.
3: Absolutely. What I tell people is, look, if you're in trouble, a police officer is your best friend. If you are the suspect in a criminal investigation, a police officer is your worst enemy. Anything you say will first be misquoted and then used against you. So I don't care if you're the Pope. I don't care if you're Hitler. You never talk to the cops. So a lot of talking to the cops went on for a long period of time before Nolan finally invokes, uh, basically he's saying, Sixth Amendment legal counsel present he's basically saying quit asking us questions we're done answering your questions at this yeah. point
4: it wouldn't have surprised you had he done that at the beginning
3: and no one got interviewed no if i were there i'd tell him to do that
4: yeah correct so innocent or guilty of anything that's the that's the right move for innocent people and guilty people to not have to answer things that can only cause uh Cause problems.
3: Yes. And I have had a number of innocent clients who would agree with that.
4: Yes. Okay. Um, we've got I'll just what, read this last minute, line please. and I'll
3: let you take the next page. I downloaded the reenactment onto a DVD and placed a copy into evidence. The reason I emphasize those words, a DVD is because later on, we'll see on page 20, the last page that they actually have three DVDs that were placed into evidence. And this accounts for only the contents of one of them.
4: Perfect. That's number 11. So now we'll go to number 12. All right. So another incident report, same sort of information at the top. uh, But here we've got uh, detective number five telling us on December 9th, 2016, I was asked by the deputy first class detective number one to respond to the embassy suites. In secure room 533 for evidence processing, I arrived at approximately uh, 733 AM, 0733 hours, and met with Nolan's brother, who stated he was residing in the room with other family members who were not currently present. I explained my purpose in the room and obtained verbal consent from him to search the
3: room. By the way, that indicates right there that he's an adult. Because otherwise, the police would not have taken consent from a minor as being sufficient to allow them to go into the room. They would have gotten a warrant otherwise.
4: Perfect. Uh, I was there until I was relieved by a medical detective number four and forensic technician number one. Okay. Number... Let's see here. We're going to be number 13...
3: Now, this is the handwritten statement of the child services representative. We already looked at a narrative report. I believe. Well, we thought it was from her before. Maybe I think it was. it was actually
4: Detective Number One who was writing it, although he never put his name on the paper.
3: Yes. So this is what she says in her handwritten report: the child services representative. I received a report stating that we were that there were concerns for the safety of the child, Derek Corden. I responded to APCH, Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital, to a child that was unresponsive and had head injuries. After speaking with caregivers, which would be Nolan and Hannah, father stated that they had been woken up by the child crying, and they decided to go to hospital. Mother stated she awoke to no crying, excuse me, to no crying child. She tried to console him when they realized that he was not breathing. Mother drove child to hospital where he arrived unresponsive and was transported to APCH, Arnold Palmer Hospital.
4: Just for the record, RFM, where you say no crying child, I actually think the no is the. So I think mother stated she awoke to the crying child. I think that's a T-H-E, although I think it's not written very well um, because I see a little... I do. Yeah. Woke to the crying child. And she tried to console him when they realized that he was not breathing. Mother drove the child to the hospital.
3: Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Thank you, Bill.
4: No problem. Where he, what? Um, and I don't know what, what's that word before unresponsive,
3: uh, where can you point at it? Yeah. Right. Where my cursor is arrived where he arrived. Arrived, Unresponsive.
4: Perfect. Um, so in this instance they both say they essentially it sounds like they kind of woke up at the same time at least nolan seems to be stating they woke up at the same time to the child crying in the first report not written by this person written by someone else the father woke up to whimpering mother was already uh holding him and uh trying to figure out what was going on correct
3: apparently and that'll become more clear once we get to the four minute video Yeah. Okay.
4: 13. So now we're on 14.
3: Okay. So here we have the handwritten statement of Nolan Corden who writes very small and tends to write on the line. And I don't mean on top of the line. I mean directly on the line to the point where it's kind of difficult for us to read what it was he said. But I took a copy of this and I enlarged it and I made a transcript. Of what it was that he wrote, I've double checked it. I believe it is accurate to the words that Nolan Corden wrote in his handwritten statement.
4: Perfect. Um, and I would say, if you want to read that,
3: do you have the transcript, uh, Old Bean? <laughs> if you don't, I think I can probably find it pretty quickly here.
4: I do. If you give me just a moment, but I I thought I had to okay, we're it. We're going to have a race.
3: Okay. we're going to have a race. That sounds good. Let's
4: both try to find it.
3: Okay. It's like scripture chase. Got it. I win. Okay. Handwritten statement of Nolan Corden. Now this is the transcription. You can put the actual handwritten statement up while I read it and double check my work. All right. I, Nolan Corden, do hereby voluntarily make the following statement without threat, coercion, offer of benefit or favor by any persons whomsoever that's boilerplate except for the name Nolan Corden. Now to the handwritten part. On Thursday which was December 8th, by the way. On Thursday, we were at Hollywood Studios all day. In the past weeks, he has had that would be Derek. He has had trouble breathing at nights and snoring loudly. Doctors have told us that he would need his tonsils removed at the park. Derek seemed fine, but tired. After the park, we drove to Disney Springs to get ice cream at Girardelli's Chocolate Factory. Around 9 to 9.30, we bought some dinner at McDonald's and took it back to the hotel. After dinner, we took the boys to bed. Derek seemed fine, was happy, and responsive. He was his normal happy but tired self. He woke up around 12 to 12.30, whimpering like he does when he has a bad dream. We soon found he was unresponsive, and my wife drove him to the hospital while I made sure the youngest was taken care of. Interestingly, there's no mention of screaming in this handwritten statement. So we soon found he was unresponsive after he was whimpering and woke us up. We soon found he was unresponsive and my wife drove him to the hospital while I made sure the youngest was taken care of. We've always we've already talked about why that is somewhat problematic. I then drove to the hospital where they were prepping him to transfer to Arnold Palmer Hospital. So it appears he did arrive at the first hospital, um, not too much later, at least when he got there, Derek was still there, but being prepped to be transferred to the Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital. And then he states, I swear or affirm the above and or attached statements are correct and true. Once again, that's boilerplate signature, Nolan Corden. How did I do with that?
4: Good. I... I do think it's strange that here he is. He's got the chance to put it all down on paper and screaming isn't mentioned once. The only noise is he wakes up to is whimpering and then soon found him unresponsive after that.
3: I do want to mention something else about this 12 to 1230 because this timing is important. Earlier in the statement, when he's talking about when they bought dinner, He says around 9 to 9.30, and you notice that that is on the same line. It says 9 dash, then 9.30. 9 to 9.30, we bought uh, dinner. But down here where it says he woke up around 12 to 12.30, it appears that the 12.30 was written first, and then some more writing was done, and then later on, not much later on, probably a few seconds or perhaps after it was completed, he went back and added the twelve. Above the twelve thirty, this looks like an insertion that was made after the fact, as opposed to the nine to nine thirty, which looks like it was written contemporaneously. So the twelve to twelve thirty looks like he wrote first twelve thirty, then went back and amended it to twelve to twelve thirty.
4: Yeah, and all of law enforcement reports, uh, as well as I believe the child services rep, all use midnight as the time in which the event uh, initiated, and hence we're left wondering why he put 1230 and why he then felt a need to put 12 in. um, But he does. And it would seem as though, again, we don't have everything. But whatever other conversations have occurred have left multiple agency representatives of using midnight as the hard time they want in their reports.
3: Well, just speaking as an attorney, what happens here is that 1230 works better for Nolan. At least what it does is it shrinks the time between the time he was awakened and the sense that it happened and the time that Hannah leaves the hotel to go to the hospital in the car, which is pegged in the child fatality summary at 1253 AM. So if it's 1230, as Nolan had originally written, that's 23 minutes later. Now that's still a long time. And believe me, This is not a good time. That clock is not going quickly. Time's not passing quickly. That's 23 minutes of inaction on their part, or at least inaction insofar as taking care of the emergency involving Derek at hand. And the further back in time that happens, that makes it a wider window between waking up to Derek in distress and finally leaving at 1253. So if it was at midnight, that's 53 minutes that are not accounted for. If it's 1230, that's 23 minutes that are not accounted for.
4: And we'll learn later in one of the reports, we'll see it verified that at the hotel, I think they're in the fifth floor. And um, if you got up at 1230, you spend a few minutes with him in distress, suddenly he's unresponsive, you do have to throw pants on probably. Again, you should just call nine one one. That yes, that's, all of
3: that you only have to do because you're not picking up the phone and yeah. calling nine one one. Also, the more generally speaking,
4: the more distant someone is in relationship from the person having the health event, and people who have professional training, are going to operate smoother in these times of crisis. Going across the hall right away, pounding on the door, screaming for help. Um, also brings other minds into the problem to solve it, but I want to note if if he if they did get up at twelve thirty on the fifth floor, what needed to take place in the room, get downstairs, get to the car, the twelve fifty three at least to me seems reasonable. But again, everyone has pushed this back to midnight, and there's got to be I'm assuming again I don't know, but I'm assuming there's some reason for that. Uh, hence, why Nolan also adds midnight to this. And if we're talking midnight, that extra half hour, that extra half hour is deeply problematic to to what's at stake here.
3: Well, my perspective as a defense attorney for 25 years and a prosecutor for eight years before that is that the reason they focus on midnight is because that makes it look worse for the parents. That's what law enforcement tends to do. They've already decided there's something wrong here. And so they're going to be filtering everything through that and the wider time frame, that wider window that I talked about that looks worse for the parents, is probably where they're going to focus on. And my suspicion is that's why they focus on the midnight and not on the 1230.
4: Yeah. Does it st- I assume it seems strange to you that screaming's not
3: mentioned here as well? Well, this is the handwritten version of what I just read in the transcript.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I mean though is that Nolan doesn't mention waking up to the child screaming. In yes. one place, but does mention waking up to the child screaming in another.
3: Where does he mention it in
4: another? Well, no, he does. I'm 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 saying that wrong. Thank you. It's Law okay. enforcement reports him saying that he woke up to the child screaming. And Hannah mentions I think the child screaming and because she's trying to console him. And Nolan doesn't. He just mentions the whimpering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else here?
3: No. Okay.
4: That's number 14. So we'll go to number 15. And this one just seems to be the forensic uh, investigator essentially noting what equipment they used, uh, what they did, what rooms there were pictures taken of. And then down here, they essentially say uh, the specifics of that. Uh, On the above listed date and time, I, CSI forensic detective number one, was requested to respond to the above-listed location, in reference to a child abuse investigation. I was contacted by Detective Number Three, who informed me that the victim was brought to the hospital by his parents. Upon the child's examination, it was reported from Doctor. By the way, that...
3: did you notice that was incorrect?
4: Okay, say that again.
3: He wasn't brought to the hospital by his parents.
4: Nope, he was brought to the hospital by one parent. Yep, thank yeah, thank you. These are the kind
3: of things. Yeah, these are the kind of things that will crop up. Minor miss statements which are probably not intentional on the part of law enforcement but you know that's the way these things are and to note that nolan himself
4: tells us concretely that it was her that drove the child to the hospital without him he stayed behind to make arrangements for the other kid
3: right this is just an officer who's going to be taking pictures of the hotel room who's not involved in the other part of the investigation writing down what it was they heard
4: yeah totally uh, all right. Upon the child's exam, upon the child's examination, it was reported from doctors that the child sustained internal injuries that might cause his death. I was also informed that the family spent the previous day at a theme park. Later, brought later bought food at a McDonald's and then spent the rest of the evening in their hotel room. The hotel room was cleared and secured prior to my arrival. I began my investigation by obtaining overall photographs of the scene. The scene consisted of a hotel room located on the fifth floor of the hotel building. So there we get the floor. The general layout of the room is depicted on page two. Close-up photos were obtained of clothing, bedding, trash items, and personal belongings for documentation purposes. Forensic uh, detective number one signs it, and then it's notarized and then filed.
3: Right. So I think the next picture is the layout of the room. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, it's it's this one here. Yep.
3: This was something that we did not know from the child fatality summary, which is helpful to know. And what you'll see there is that it appears to be a suite. Well, it is a suite. It's in the embassy suites. And there is a living room area, which appears to be what you walk into off the hallway. There's a doorway there. There's a sofa and a chair and some other items of furniture. We're presuming that the sofa is where Nolan's brother, who was an adult apparently was sleeping at the time. Then, as you go back into the room, and I'm just saying this for people who are listening to this on audio only, Bill. As you go back into the room, you pass by a bathroom on the left and a door into the bathroom on the left. So That's not designated here on this diagram. There's obviously got to be a door, and it's obviously got to be as you pass it on the left, which leads into the bathroom. And then you go into the bedroom area, which has two I don't know if they're queen beds, but there's room for two people to be sleeping. They're designated by two pillows on each bed in between as a nightstand. And then at the foot of one of the beds and across the room actually is a crib. It's designated as a crib, which is I'm guessing where the one year old was sleeping or at least was placed at the time. And then even though it's not mentioned here, it appears that beyond the bed and against the wall is another window leading to the outside or the exterior of the building.
4: Yeah. And so um, the search was conducted of the hotel room. Following items were collected under property tag. It talks about a a green polo and some pillowcases and a child's backpack uh, with stuff in it, including some tissue. And each of those items, it says that there's suspected blood on those. They're taken into evidence. Right, and
3: Um, and they're tested chemically, which we'll see later on. For the presence of blood, all of them are negative. So apparently, none of this was blood. It might have been chocolate or some other stain of some kind that they thought might be blood. But they're seizing it because they think it could be blood. It turns out none of these are chemically tested positive for blood. And we'll see that in a later document as well.
4: Yeah, and they've also obtained from the medical examiner's office um, a DNA card for for Derek, a vial containing his head hair, and I don't know what the M E is, but original M E packaging.
3: I'm guessing medical examiner, because this is on that was on January 6, 2017, if that was received, and that was doubtless after the autopsy. Uh,
4: it talks about how all the digital images, again, just to make mention, all digital images have been uploaded into the data work uh, kiosk and transferred onto a CD, um, and so we've had one DVD named and one CD
3: named. Which is where photographs would normally go on a CD.
4: Yep. I was later notified by detective number three that the district nine medical examiner's office ruled the manner of death in this case to be homicide. So there, I think we hear for the first time, maybe an official ruling on it rather than just them, uh, stating at the hospital in the medical reports that that was, the the conclusion um, all items collected from the hotel room were transferred to the OCSO biology unit for examination. All remaining evidence was submitted to OCSO evidence unit for storage pending further instruction. And then it's signed and
3: uh, notarized. Right. And for anybody who wonders, OSCO is Orange County Sheriff's Office.
4: Perfect. Now let's go to number.
3: I think I said OSCO. I might have said OSCO, but it's O see SO, the Orange Orange County County. Sheriff's Office. Now here is, once again replicated, that diagram that they made, but there are some additions to this in color. Can you tell us about that, Bill?
4: Yeah, I just did this so that folks could understand the layout of the room and where folks were. Um, Again, it was reported that Derek was in the bed across from the crib where his younger brother was. That would put the parents in the bed closest to the window exterior wall of the hotel Um, Derek uh, is there in the bed in blue, Uh, the younger ones in violet in the crib, the parents are in orange, and then the adult brother is on the sofa out in the living uh, section of the hotel suite.
3: Right, and once again, when we get to that four minute video of Hannah Corden, we will see that indeed it does appear that the parents, she and Nolan, her husband, were in that bed over there against the wall that Derek was alone in that one bed, the other bed, and that there were two pillows on the far side of Derek, which Hannah will say she put there in order to keep him from accidentally rolling off in the night.
4: Yeah. And and there very well may have been two pillows closer to him. Nobody says that, although if you're going to keep a kid from falling off one direction to fall down, it seems like you would want to have pillows on the other side to keep him from falling down as well. So, but I, but those weren't said, so I didn't put them in the picture.
3: Good. And the only other thing that I want to state, which may be obvious is that we have no idea which direction the brother's head in the living room on the couch was faced. We're presuming he was asleep on the couch because that makes sense since he was sleeping out there, but we've got no idea which way his head was pointed at the time. Correct. All right. So. Okay, here's the document which shows that all four items of evidence that were seized with suspected blood on it failed to chemically indicate the presence of blood. On the green polo, on the pillowcase near the sofa, on the pillowcase on the east bed, on the child's backpack with miscellaneous toys, candy, and tissue with suspected blood. I believe it was probably just the tissue that was in the child's backpack with suspected blood. All of those failed to chemically indicate the presence of blood, which basically means they weren't blood.
4: Right, and that's essentially all this document is doing is just confirming that there's no blood. So we can go to 18, and this is just more of the same, um, but this is just the property form of what was taken and filed into evidence, but it's the same items mentioned by the forensic investigator.
3: Yes, the green polo, the two pillowcases, and the child's backpack with the tissue with suspected blood.
4: Yeah, and signed, um, so that's that one, number 19.
3: And this, this is also a property form which is used for tracking evidence, making sure you've got the chain of custody. Those are three items that were already mentioned before that were received Mm -hmm. apparently from the medical examiner's office, the LEA, DNA. By the way, the LEA, that's probably law enforcement agency or law enforcement something else. DNA card for Derek Corden. So they have have his DNA in case they need it for future parts of the investigation. There's a vial containing the head hair in the original ME packaging. We've heard about these before. This is just the form that documents where it was taken, and under what name and number.
4: Yeah. And then signed and all that stuff, and obviously checkmark placed into records, which is why, at least on this instance, we have it. And then we're at the final document here.
3: Yes, and this is another property form where they document what's in evidence. And here's where you see that it, there were three DVDs and one CD that were placed in evidence. We have potentially identified the photographs the four, the 241 photographs as being on a cd because those would be on a cd not a uh, a dvd and there are three dvds although all we received was one four minute long video so we don't know what else is on at a minimum the other two dvds i would presume that the other interviews were probably recorded as well and downloaded on those dvds now That's significant from my point of view and plays a part in uh, my second request for items from the Orange County Sheriff's Office, which I put in the mail yesterday and which we'll be talking about more at the end of tonight's show. Here, they do show that the suspect is Hannah Corden and the victim is Derek Corden in this form. Now, once again, that's just law enforcement's suppositions. That's the theory that they're going with. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, here's probably why law enforcement is focusing on hannah cordon and that's because according to hannah cordon she was the first person to wake up to derek in distress and therefore naturally their suspicions focus on her what do you think bill
4: yeah i, I think there is a whole realm of possibilities um and again i don't i don't know any of this this is uh, just me throwing out thoughts but you could have some sort of health event being triggered or not triggered by um, something being imposed on him, as the wording in the document said earlier. Right? It, it could have happened an hour earlier, and it just took a while for the the damage of the the brain and stuff to start affecting his behavior. Like there, are, I think there are multiple things that could be happening, but yes, in at least uh, in the final event as it uh, unfolded uh it seems as though hannah at least by their record is the first to wake up although that's also confusing because nolan seems to indicate they both wake up sort of indicating at the same time um and and so i think there is still question there about that but at least in some of the reports it seems as though when derek wakes up hannah is already or sorry when nolan wakes up hannah is already holding derek
3: Yes. And once again, that'll be in the video, which we'll get to after the photographs. The other thing of note in this document, which is the final of the 20 pages that I received, is the date on which it was executed, which is not December of 2016. Instead, it's March 13th of 2019, which means this is two years and almost three months later that this document is being executed, showing that the three DVDs and the one CD are being put into evidence. Now, this kind of thing can happen. It certainly happened in my experience where law enforcement does an investigation of something, maybe the investigation doesn't go anywhere, maybe charges aren't filed, maybe they are, but they don't get their evidence that they've collected to where it's supposed to go in the evidence room or in the file. I had a case where that happened just recently. Um, It means one of two things, either law enforcement was making a mistake by not providing this to the proper custodian of records or to the file. It was still in some other location. That can happen. It's certainly not best practice, but that could happen. However, if that is what happened, that they didn't know where it was put, and then they found it again, that raises the question of what happened more than two years later to bring that fact to the attention of law enforcement. So in other words, if you're two years and three months later, you're off doing other things, believe me, a lot of other things in between and a lot of other cases that you're investigating. There has to be something that brings it to your attention that you haven't provided that information to where it's supposed to go in the case file. So I don't know what the answer to that is, but I raise it because it's an interesting issue. What do you think?
4: Yeah, we have an indication that on some level, this case is being worked on on some level over the course of three years two and a half yes or at
3: least two years and three months so I don't know what's going on but that date stood out to me when I saw it yeah so that's the end of the 20 pages of reports you may be underwhelmed as I was when I received it and now what about those photographs you have those ready to go we got 241 photographs we picked just a handful. That are illustrated to show you what the interior of the hotel room looked like when law enforcement was there to process it. I'm not sure that I see anything particularly noteworthy. They didn't see anything particularly noteworthy, but they still documented what it looked like.
4: So, just to note, you can see this is an open hotel suite from the living room back to the bedrooms, which you can kind of see on the far side of the photo. Um, you notice that the bed that the brother, the couch that the brother was sleeping on, is actually a pull out sofa bed. Um, and you'll see that I th- maybe in another picture here. Okay, but so just, maybe
3: that diagram was insufficient. Perhaps it was pulled out into a sofa bed, and that's where yeah. he was sleeping at the time.
4: Yeah. Yep. If so, so,
3: if so, at some point it was put back before these photographs were taken the following morning.
4: Yeah, and I don't know if I have it in this group, but at least one of the photographs pulled it back out and took pictures of it and then took the bedding off and took pictures of it as well. Okay. But you can at least see the layout matches. There's the bathroom with the door, as you suggested, and the only place it could be. Um, There's the room with the two beds. You can see the crib is across. Again, they stated that Derek was in the bed across from the crib, so he would have been in the first bed. And then the far bed, closest to the outside wall, would have been where the parents were.
3: Right, and there's the window with the blinds along it. Yeah. And
4: uh, one of the pictures they took was on the... Outside, again, I say outside in terms of the outside wall, the outside bed on the outside side of the bed up against the wall, there was an iPad. Um, it, it may seem strange that I'm mentioning that, but the damage to that iPad was pretty serious. And if I go back, you can see, I mean, it's the bed's pretty close to the wall. It looks like maybe it fell. Um, they pulled the bed away because you can see the distance in the bed is different here versus here so they pull the bed away they get the ipad they take close pictures of it and it's damaged i i only i don't know again i'm not making any suggestion here only that's it appears it could that could have came with that damage to begin with that certainly is feasible we i worked in a pawn shop for eight years and i've certainly gotten people bring items in that already had that sort of damage to them it doesn't necessarily mean it was dropped on this occasion uh, they will tend to still function uh, w- even with the corners b- busted like that, but at least opens up the possibility that in the chaos of that evening, the iPad was knocked off of the the parent's bed and incurred that damage. And again, I don't have any suggestion for how that plays into it, but the photographer thought it was important enough to take five or six pictures of
3: right once again they're going to be taking pictures of anything that's unusual out of place it doesn't necessarily mean that they thought it was suspicious i myself can think of a a scenario where uh the parents go to sleep by the way this is between the parents bed and the wall that they end up waking up that uh, jumping out of bed that perhaps they've fallen asleep and this uh, ipod ipad you say this ipad is uh is on the covers and they throw off the covers to jump out of bed and this goes over the side and on the floor it could likely be nothing more than that
4: yeah but just that being between the bed and the wall seems like a strange place so it does seem like sometime in the chaos it did fall off the bed or fell off some other time earlier in the night or later after uh hannah took the child to the hospital right yeah okay so that's uh i think that's all of the photos um
3: are we to the point where we're going to show the video
4: Yeah, because the last photo is that one. Yep, that's it. So I'm going to pull my stuff off.
3: Okay, so once again, this is the video of the police. The one video that we received, which is about four minutes in length. This is after all the interviews have taken place. They have interviewed Hannah. They've interviewed Nolan. They've interviewed everybody else. And now the police want to bring her back in for a follow-up interview to have her demonstrate on a doll, on a um, Raggedy Ann doll of some sort. You'll see it there in the in the picture. What it was that she did when she woke up to Derek being uh crying and waking her up. So, they have her do this. It is recorded. It's at the end of this that you'll see Nolan come in and call it off and say, uh we've had uh we're done here. Um so I think that's all I need to say except for if we've already done a warning, which I know we've already done. This can certainly be um triggering, upsetting to people of a certain stripe who don't do this for a living like I do. So just consider yourself warned. It's not that there's anything particularly incriminating, I think, that's being said here or done here. Yeah, there's the warning. Yeah. But I just want to go ahead and say that it's about four minutes long and we're ready to play it, Bill.
4: I, I oh, by so. the way, there's going to
3: be a beep in it because Maven beeped out the birthday was, it? I think it's Hannah's birthday. hmm. We will find out that the correct way to spell her name is H-A-N-A, Hannah. And there's the beginning of the video. So when you hear the beep, that's All just right. uh, today's date is
1: December 9th, 2016. The time is 14, 15 hours. This is in reference to case number 16-111490. Uh, this is in reference to Derek, a uh, white male. Could you please pronounce your last name for me, ma'am? Corden. Corden. Okay. I'm going to try to get it right from now on because I keep messing it up. What's your first name, ma'am?
2: Hannah.
1: Hannah, and your date of birth? It's
2: spelled there. Would you like me to correct it? Two Ns? H-A-N-A. One N. One N and no H at the end. Oh,
1: okay. I'm sorry. It's like...
2: It's the Hawaiian
1: spell. Like that? Yes. Okay, I apologize. Okay, you ready? We're running. Um, What I... Drew here is a rough diagram of the room. By my understanding, there's a window over here. Mm-hmm. These are the foots of the bed, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Nolan no one kind of- No window here. Right. Just a That's what I initially put, and in. he corrected me the windows on this side. So, so the two beds, and he said he was laying here, you were laying here, and Derek was laying alone here, and what I have labeled is bed one. Yes. Okay. So what I'm gonna do is just orient this uh, Raggedy Ann doll laying in the direction um, that I'm presuming Derek so was laying in. So it would be like this, right? right? So Derek yes. had his head up on the pillow in yes. that area? Yes, Okay, so if you would, and, and, and it's not going to be easy, but if you would just, from the time you've heard him make the noise, show me exactly what you did, uh, how you picked him up, what happened uh, until uh, you left the hotel Will you do that, please? I'll try. Okay. okay
2: was laying in bed and started crying, so mm-hmm. I yeah. out. Derek, 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 and he kept screaming, so I got on the bed with him, mm-hmm. scooped him up in my arms, mm-hmm. Derek, mama is here, Derek, mama is here, Derek, mama is here, Derek, no, he's not breathing, he's not breathing, and then I tried to hold him up and help him to breathe, and he wasn't breathing; he was just gasping.
1: Okay. And how did you did you move him from that position when you left the room?
2: I handed him to. I must have handed him to Nolan because oh. we were all in the room when I started to get dressed. Okay. So I must have just handed him off. I don't remember how though.
1: Okay. All right. We can put it back down. Um, when you, when you. Uh, First, heard him make the noise you said you got up and you came over and you kind of put your hands on him? Yeah. Okay. Very gentle. Okay.
2: Derek.
1: Okay. Did you try to get his attention, like, you know, move him or, or shake him any at all? Did you try to get him to wake up? Sometimes, I like. I don't
2: remember, but if I had, it would have been very gentle.
1: Okay. Because I know, like, when I'm snoring or something, my wife will, hey, wake up. I'm wondering if. If, if you did something along those lines to try to get him to wake up out of whatever he was dreaming about?
2: I don't remember.
1: You don't remember?
2: I'm sure I probably did something very similar to what your wife would do. Okay. Something that I would do anytime he sure. falls asleep. Just a... I don't remember specifics.
1: Okay. So, uh, after you, you, you give him a little little uh, little nudge, You picked him up.
2: Yeah, it was just easier to get on the bed and scoop him up into my arms. Okay, because he was—he wasn't listening. He was so sad.
1: Did he ever open his eyes?
2: He didn't. I didn't. Ah. I don't have perfect memory of that, but I don't think he did.
5: Okay.
2: I do
1: remember Where was he positioned on the bed? Was he laying on the side, of, next to the side? Was he in the middle of the bed? Was he on the far side? Where was he positioned on the bed? Not
2: on the far side, because I had pillows there guarding against okay. him falling.
1: Yes. So, the bed. Guys, we've been through a lot today. Are we, we're almost done. Can we just finish? Absolutely. I think, okay, <laughs> I think we're sure. done. Okay, all right. Thank you. Going to go ahead and stop the recording at 1420 hours.
4: You're muted.
3: Excuse me. There was the video that was supplied to us by the Orange County Sheriff's Office. It's about four minutes in length. According to the police reports, it was after that um, part of the interview was terminated by Nolan Corden that the detectives went outside in the hallway. By the way, this is in a staff room at the hospital where this is taking place. This is about 10 till three in the afternoon on December 9th. Derek is still Apparently still at the hospital, it's the Arnold Palmer Hospital, the children's hospital, where he is still on life support somewhere else in that building. So that's what's going on there. But it's after this and shortly after this, apparently, that the two detectives go out in the hallway and then they're approached again by Nolan Corden, who says any further questioning of family members will have to be with an attorney present. So did you have any thoughts or comments you wanted to make about that video, Bill?
4: Just something I thought of. Uh, when we were prepping just before we went live tonight and I wanted to make sure I mentioned it, but when she when she's uh, doing the reenactment of holding this doll representing Derek and suddenly uh, she remembers Derek not breathing, she yells out for No or for Nolan to get up. And I just want to note that in none of the earlier reports, is there any mention of her yelling for Nolan to get up? In fact, Nolan himself says he woke up to the baby whimpering um, and and that she seems to grab her child and be yelling at Nolan to get into action. And he, again, not that there's anything to be drawn from it, but just to note a data point that he doesn't note her doing that in any of his testimony, any of his statement.
3: Right. And I will say that as an attorney, um, Hannah Corden in this four-minute clip which, by the way, police were obviously doing the supplemental interview because they're trying to make sense out of this, and it's not making sense, it's not lining up, and they're trying to figure out what exactly happened. But she presents as quite credible. If she were my client, I would feel comfortable that a jury would think that she is credible. Now, when I say that, this is what attorneys do when they have clients, right? Or they have witnesses. Some are credible, some are not credible. It's not actually um, an opinion as to whether they're telling the truth, but just as they present as if they're telling the truth and believe me, it's better to have a client that presents as if they're telling the truth than to have one that does not present that way. I've had clients that I wouldn't believe them if they said the sky was blue. That's how bad they are mm-hmm. at presenting. <laughs> they're totally uncredible. So I'm just saying she comes across as credible. I will also add, uh, especially for those who are listening to this on audio, that the thing that I think the police were probably keying in on is the moment at which she places her hand, over the doll's mouth derek's mouth after she's picked him up and he is crying so on the one hand yeah parents do that if you've got a child who's crying you might put your hand lightly on their mouth to try and get them to not wake up anybody else on the other hand when you're in a homicide investigation like this i can guarantee you that the police are looking at that action by her placing her hand over derek's mouth and scrutinizing that with extra, extra scrutiny.
4: I'll just say to the first thing you said in terms of her being credible, there is one moment where she sticks out her hand right at the camera and it's not visibly shaking at all. And um, I would I would think, again, who knows what how these situations actually play out when they happen, but I would think that if someone had done something they feel remorseful for, and they've caused some serious harm to a child, that being uh, interrogated by the police off in a side room would be deeply nerve wracking. Even if you're completely innocent, I think that would be deeply nerve wracking. And I just want to note that her hand isn't shaking, which to me also adds some credibility to what you're saying that, that she comes across as really just trying to figure out what happened to her kid.
3: Yeah, if I were her attorney, I would definitely be pointing that out to the jury. Also, I want to say again what we said at the outset, which is that Nolan coming in at that point, I don't find remarkable. I find that completely within the realm of reasonableness for an innocent person who's been through all the crap and all the hell that they've been through as a family that day to finally come in and say, hey, guys, look, we've had enough. And at that point, uh, Hannah starts crying. He puts his arm around her and they walk out of the room. And then he invokes outside on behalf of his family members, which technically you can't do. But I think the police are trying to do this in a bit of a um, a way that is less official and trying to be more uh, familiar with them. If you know what I mean, they're not going hard and fast by the rules. They are just trying to find out what happened as best they can in this investigation. You'll notice they did not read Hannah, her Miranda warnings when she came into the room. They probably didn't read anybody the Miranda warnings because Miranda warnings apply only when a person is in custody. Miranda applies only to custodial custodial interrogations in the staff room. They're not in custody. They're free to walk out anytime they want, as that video amply demonstrated. So if they didn't read Miranda, that is because they're not in custody and they're just trying to figure this out as best they can. And ultimately, I think that their conclusion of police is that there was a homicide, but they're not able to say who did it or even necessarily how. Right. Right. We're we're left with
4: medical personnel saying this cannot, adamantly cannot be explained as some sort of sudden health event that wasn't imposed on them, such as an aneurysm or some sort of uh, thing happening inside the brain uh, because just suddenly happening just because and um, on on top of that too i'm sorry i'm going blank here for just a moment but
3: um i can come in with something just to clarify what i said before which is when i say they don't know how well they feel like they know how they just don't know whether it was by shaking or by some kind of trauma to the child what they are clear of clear on as far as what the doctors have told them, which is this is not something that was a health condition gone bad this was a trauma that was inflicted on the child by somebody.
4: yeah and the second thing was just that every single document notes this as a homicide investigation. so law enforcement sees it as this kid had something done to him by uh, by someone in the time frame that these events occurred. And uh, the medical staff also seems to point at that as well in terms of their expertise, which is this was a trauma inflicted upon the child by an outside force and not something that happened naturally inside the brain because of a defect or whatnot.
3: Right, and when they're saying that the statements of Hannah and Nolan do not account for the injuries that were suffered by this child, they're dealing with the situation where they're saying everything was fine all the way through until he woke up crying. They're not saying, oh, something bad happened and we were joking around or he, I was giving him a piggyback ride and I tripped and fell and he smashed his head against the side of the bathtub accidentally. You know, things can happen. But according to them, nothing like that happened. And that's why they're writing down that their explanations, both of them. Not only are they maybe sometimes not necessarily totally consistent, but then again, it's a crazy time, crazy things are happening. I think total consistency is not necessarily something you have to insist upon in a situation like this. However, their accounts of what happened are uniform in the fact that they do not explain how it was that Derek received these injuries.
4: Yeah, and some folks are suggesting in the comments that maybe something happened at... Uh, the park. Uh, a couple things I'll just note is that a, a place like Disney, any ride that could cause any kind of uh, anything close to that is going to be age appropriate. And so you have to be certain height to ride certain rides. And so I think the rides would be a difficult thing to speak to. Plus, that would be something simple. If he had a really rough ride riding something that day, I think it'd be natural of them to then point that out the other thing is that while we're not going to show those photos there are photos of the of the child on the uh eighth uh, at the park and uh at least in the photos everything seems to be just a fun family day at, at Disney
3: yeah this kind of trauma is not going to happen in a way that nobody notices That the child doesn't react, that the child does not express pain or uh, incredible agony at the time that the trauma is inflicted. And that's why the police are looking at this and saying, well, Nolan and apparently Hannah agrees with her that they got back around nine or nine thirty and little Derek was his happy but tired self. See, there's no no indication at all that any kind of trauma occurred prior to getting to the hotel room. And that's part of the, the factual situation, or at least the reported factual situation that the police are dealing with and trying to figure out what really happened here. They have concluded, I believe in their own minds, nothing happened prior to their getting back to the hotel room because neither of the parents report anything happening prior to the whole room. In fact, Nolan goes on in his written statement about all the other things that he thinks might've contributed to it, which has to do with the, um, tonsils noise, not being removed. Yeah. Yes. And snoring at no point does he say, yeah, he banged his head really hard on. It's a small world after all. Yeah. Um
4: If we remember too, in the first episode, Dr. Peacock explained clearly that the sort of trauma being described in the medical reports would be trauma that if you and I just lay people with no expertise, were in a room watching a child be have have that sort of trauma inflicted upon them. We would all, in these are her words, we would all instinctively know that serious harm was being inflicted on the kid. Um, the other thing that she noted, that also someone in the comments noted, was that this was a uh, an older, uh, not say what's the exact age of the kid two. Two, two years, and eight months. Yeah. So two the little over two and, and a half. So that, that a child of that age, their brain is developed enough that what kind of, um, sh- like for instance, shaking a baby that's younger when the brain isn't quite formed yet, uh, and doesn't have the protective structure around it is much easier to inflict that sort of damage that when you get to a child that's around two and a half, a lot of that, uh, a lot of the brain has solidified to it's what an adult state kind of, of what the material is and the protective skull and stuff have hardened up. And hence it would take a considerably more, it would take a a stronger amount of force to inflict that sort of damage. Right. Sorry. People notice me stammering. This is just an episode where I want to choose every word very carefully.
3: Yeah, I understand that, and I think that's important. By the way, if you have any other questions like that, go back and look at our previous episode. We talked about a lot of things like that that maybe we haven't covered as much here, but this is meant to go in tandem with that prior episode and cover what's in the documents that I have now received in response to my public disclosure request. Now, do you want to put up the number for people to call in, and I will then talk about my second public disclosure request? There we are.
4: Go ahead. The banner is up, so uh, the number... Oh, you're muted again, my friend, too. But number is going to be 662-667, uh, I think. Let me just double-check here. I will to wait for it to show up on the
3: bottom. Choose your words carefully. Yeah,
4: six six two six six seven six 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 seven. Give me about a minute or so here to get the call-in studio up and running. Otherwise, the time is yours to buy me a moment.
3: Thank you. I put this letter in the mail Yesterday to the Orange County Sheriff's Office, Care of Records Custodian, excuse me, Records Custodian, P.O. Box 1440, Orlando, Florida, zip code. RE, my public disclosure request number 22-16965 filed August 30th, 2022. Dear sir or madam, on August 30th, 2022, I filed my request for any and all investigative documents in your possession relating to the Derek Corden homicide investigation from an incident occurring on December 9th or 10th, 2016 investigation number 16-111490. Five months later, I received from your office 20 pages of police reports, the majority of which are not substantive. I also received 241 photos documenting the hotel room where the two-year-old Derek Corden was staying with his parents, together with a four-minute video of an interrogation. This response is entirely inadequate, and the reports you have provided demonstrate there is a great deal more you have not provided in response to my request. For example, the incident report provided from Detective Scott, and then there's the last name, which I provided here, but which we redacted in the documents, shows law enforcement, quote, conducted interviews of the family members to try and determine what could have caused this injury. After we completed all the interviews, Detective blank (laughs) asked Hannah Corden if she would be willing to do a reenactment of how she woke Derek up, period, end of quote, highlighted copy of this page attached. You provided me none of the interviews of the family members, which would have included parents, Hannah and Nolan Corden, as well as other family members who were present and would have been interviewed. The only thing you provided me was the reenactment video by Hannah Corden after all the other family member interviews were completed. Second page. This is just two pages, just so you know. Additionally, on the last of the 20 pages you provided is a property form showing three DVDs and one CD were put in evidence. Highlighted copy of page attached. Whereas, it is likely the one CD contained the 241 photos, only one of the DVDs could have contained the four-minute reenactment video. There is still a great deal of information on the DVDs that has not been provided. Wherefore, I am hereby once again making a public disclosure request under the laws of the state of Florida as well as the United States for one. Any and all documents, photographs, videos, etc., whether in hard copy or digital or recorded or otherwise of the Derek Corden homicide investigation under your case number 16-111490 from December of 2016. Two, this request is specifically for, but not limited to, any and all interviews of Derek's family or any other witnesses interviewed, including two-year-old Derek's parents, Hannah and Nolan Corden, Derek's uncle, blank Corden, who was in the same room, Derek's grandparents, Bonnie and Derek Corden, who were staying in the room across the hallway, Derek's aunt, who was staying in the same room with the grandparents. This request is for production of the interviews in any and every form in which they were recorded or documented, whether digital recorded or otherwise. Finally, because it is unreasonable to expect me to wait another five months to receive what I requested on August 30th, 2022, I am writing you this letter directly. Please disclose the above requested documents as soon as possible. Thank you in advance for your cooperation. Sincerely, me, CC, Orange County Sheriff John W. Mina. He is the sheriff. He's an elected official. I sent him a copy of this as well. Hopefully that will shake their cage and get them producing documents to me the way they're required to by the law.
4: Yeah, um, I found it interesting that you copied it to the sheriff um, because the first time around it didn't seem it didn't seem to be effective. Like there's a certain way this process works. There's a certain reason why these policies and procedures are in place. There's a certain reason why this sort of information is available upon request free to the public. Um, And you had a right to anything pertaining to the case other than that first form, the document number one, that shows what the exemptions are. And it seems crystal clear that we didn't get all of that.
3: Yeah, you think we were dealing with the BYU Police Department or something.
4: It almost seems like that. Again, maybe to go back to the very beginning of the show, and and maybe also go back in time, when you first made your request to Florida, and it was taking some time, we made a few jokes behind the scenes about how it seemed to look like the church was involved, right? Like, But joking, because in reality, I don't think that at all. I don't think that the church has any influence with law enforcement in Florida and people can say their things about how much land the church owns in Florida. That doesn't matter. This, this just isn't a state where, you know, the lobbyists and the politicians are often uh, having connections to the LDS church, such as that video that Mormon leaks where the person mentioned being church broke. Um, right. The, the Senator, Senator mm-hmm, Gordon, maybe from Oregon. Yeah. And uh, so you get into those States, Utah, Idaho or whatever you get to states where mormonism has a little more influence and maybe it does but the fact that this took so long rfm the fact that other cases got handled before yours the fact that when stuff came in it seemed as though it was the furthest thing from what should have taken 5 months um at the very least something again not saying the church is involved but on some level somebody's dropping the ball here or something weird is going on because it shouldn't have taken that long to get what we did especially in light of the fact that they should have made redactions at least some of the ones we did and they didn't and so somebody didn't even take the time to follow the procedures in the first place they just took the stuff out of the box made copies sent it on but didn't give you everything and didn't even do the standard redactions
3: Right. And my experience has been that a lot of times I'll have clients or other people come t- up to me and if there's something weird going on with government, uh, they're very eager to attribute it to malfeasance or some kind of conspiracy or some reason to hide things. Right. My experience has been is that nine times out of ten, when something like this happens, it's simply bureaucratic mismanagement as opposed to some kind of Machiavellian right. design.
4: Yep, And I agree with that. Um. Any other thoughts here other than otherwise I can go to the phone calls?
3: That's it, except for the fact that, uh, you know, I'll let you know. We'll probably have to do another update once I get a response to this, assuming that I do. And if not, then we'll have to take steps from there.
4: Yeah. um... Did you make the request also electronically, or is this the request now? You're just mailing it. I did
3: not make it electronically. Screw their electronic format. That is for the birds You have no ability to interact with anybody, to ask any other questions. So I sent a letter directly to that person and also with a copy to the sheriff. And this custodian knows I sent a copy to the sheriff, her boss, or his boss, because I put CC at the bottom of the original saying it's going to the sheriff. So you better start doing your job because I've got somebody looking over your shoulder now or at least hopefully it'll put the fear of God in the records custodian.
4: Yeah. So like you say, hopefully it's not five more months, hopefully within another month or so we've got some answers or at least some more information. Um, otherwise I think I've said everything I want to say on, on this case.
3: Me too. Any callers? Yeah, we've
4: got a few. So let's go to, I believe it's Marty. Marty, is that the name?
5: Hello? Yes, it is. Hi, how are y'all doing? Good,
4: good. You are on Mormonism live.
5: Well, I love you guys. Thank you so much for what you do. What I'm calling about is the diagram of the bed that Derek was laying in. It looked like one side of the bed was up against a wall, and the pillows were there. Now, Mother would put the pillows on the open side where the baby could fall out. That did not seem correct to me. And well, Marty, if I could. Oh. And the way the mother said she climbed into the bed, that did not look. A mother would have just gotten in the bed on the open side, not crawl from the bottom. That just did not seem true to me.
3: I hear what you're saying about that. There was some question that Bill and I had about the manner in which she recreated that in the video. I will say, however, that the bed in which Derek was sleeping wasn't completely against the wall in other words there's that same kind of gap there which may be 12 inches if it's the same as it was on the parent's side vis-a-vis their wall with the window on it so i can understand not wanting okay, a see. two-year-old yeah to roll off into that crack like where on the parent's side that um ipad ended up on the floor but uh, other than that yeah okay, i have I the same it. yeah i have the same question about the recreation it seemed uh it seemed more difficult to get wrong. to him yeah, then it would have been otherwise just to yes. go directly to uh, him on that side. And and she doesn't. It- oh, go ahead. Yeah, please. Sure.
5: I challenge Radio Free Mormon to a trivia contest because I can get every reference that goes right over Bill's head.
3: And they all do. <laughs> Why don't you challenge Bill to Why a trivia contest? You guys- You've got a greater likelihood of success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, um, I love you. Um, Wouldn't be pretty darn good. And I, I love, love that movie they made about I've been you. Married. What's that? What movie? Marty with Ernest Borgnine.
5: Oh, well, I'm a little too young for that.
3: Oh, that's too so, bad. It's a great movie. But
5: other than that, I could, I could kick your butt. So Whoa. But I love you and thank you all for everything you do.
3: I love you too, Marty. Thanks so much for calling in. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just, you know, the caller
4: noted that the way that Hannah entered the bed, like how she came in from the foot of the bed, seemed uh, out of place. I'll just note that that's what the caller is making reference to. Also, when I just now we re-listened to that video, you know, they were asking if the child was on the far side of the bed. And she said, not the far side, because I put pillows there. And it seems like that would have been a natural place to say there were also pillows on this side, which would have then maybe made it, um, necessary or convenient to go to the foot of the bed. But we don't get that again, whether it wasn't there or whether she just happened to forget to leave it out. We don't know, but at least to note those things.
3: And those are probably questions that the police would have continued to ask her during the recreation if they had not been interrupted.
4: Yeah, totally. Okay, looks like it is James from 21st uh, Century Saints, I believe. James. Uh, Jane, probably. Sorry, the call oh, James is James, but I bet it's Jane. Jane, how are you?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Jane. Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you so much, Iris, and Nathan. Um, especially the chat, the conversation tonight has been so respectful, um, and I just want to say that I really appreciate that. Now, what I'm going to kind of do is a little bit of an information dump. I'll just be super, super quick. Um, obviously, I know that that you guys will handle this, and you've done such an exceptional job in uh, supporting people with resources. But as 21st century, we uh, we host a podcast over here in the UK alongside the rest of the Brit Avengers. We've been doing a safeguarding campaign. Um, we want to just highlight. Uh, if you have any concerns about a child, about their safety or about anyone's safety call 911 straight away, call 999 in the UK um, you don't have to investigate yourself, you just call if you have any risk um, what we also really want to say is that um, obviously conversations like this really leave a lot of pain and concern and mormonism that bureaucracy that we're talking about isn't just a government issue we know it's a church issue too um, it happens across all sorts of victim experiences if you have to report any type of abuse um the, the processes for making your voice heard or receiving justice are so typically difficult what we've been trying to do is to not just focus on um on supporting and responding to abuse. But what we've been trying to do is to encourage members of the church, uh a couple of your members of the church, a couple have uh, totally moved away from Mormonism. We have found that for the first time, um what I understand to be the history of the restoration, everyone Everyone we have ever spoken to is on the same page about um, calling for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to do data in safeguarding our vulnerable. Um, it is incredible to see the podcasters and members of the church and ex-members who are all able to call for the same thing because we're all standing in this space together. Um we've seen an incredible response from bishops who are being empowered to act because they are also white. Right. Um, whereas previously we're saying, perhaps conversations were shut down um, and if they had expressed concerns and perhaps been told that they are not allowed to contact authorities. We're sort of pointing out what their liability is, what the legal situation is here in the UK and it has been so, so amazing to see um the the, the church is um, seeming to listen. Um, This is a pretty incredible moment, but what we mostly just want to really stress is that if you need any support with any of these things, um, please do seek help. People are listening, and there are more resources than at any other time. We do have resources on our website at 21stCenturyState.org. We're also specifically asking people in the UK, if you have victim experiences or have witnessed, and um, anything that you would term as abuse, we're trying to banish that for prevalence. Gina Colvin has been reaching out to ask about this um, down under. And of course, we have organisations such as Protect the Children in the US, U- and Squidlet.org. So there's a lot happening right now. And I have so much hope because to see uh, everyone come together across this spectrum to see. What do you do there? It is incredible. So I just want to thank you guys. Our uh, family, the Mormon, women, they have signed their open letter calling for better uh, safeguarding in the church. And yeah, we're, we're hoping for some great things, but please, tonight, people remember, still care. And if you're wise, don't hesitate to call. Thanks, guys.
4: Thank you.
3: Jane, thank you so much for calling. I know it's very late where you live. So thanks for staying up late to watch the show and calling in.
0: You're most
3: welcome. Thanks, guys. Have a
4: great night. Just to note too, if you remember, we played those uh, couple of talks from Bonnie Corden, uh, president of the, I believe, the Young Women's, three talks from Bonnie, where she mentions one was in the the national thing they did with the Hear Him. And then she had mentioned sort of that story in another location. And then she had mentioned sort of a separate story about when the when Nolan and Hannah and uh, the rest of the family went back to the airport.
3: The car seat.
4: Yeah. And if you remember, uh, Bonnie made mention that both parents drove the child to the hospital. And with with Nolan's statement, it seems crystal clear at the very least that Bonnie, who was there, I will also say one of the photographs that we got was Bonnie holding Derek at the amusement park. Um, and so we have essentially the, them there.
3: Oh, so Bonnie, the grandmother.
4: Yes. So we know, again, we know she's there. She tells the story about being there. We have photographs. She's there. Um, she's there across the hallway, whatever happened after Hannah took Derek and drove to the hospital, you have to, I mean, it would be, I would be deeply surprised if, Uh, Nolan let his parents sleep until, you know, 7.30 or 8 in the morning, that wouldn't make much sense to me. So I'm assuming he woke them up. Bonnie would had to have understood that, that Nolan didn't originally go with Hannah to the hospital. I can't believe she would be learning that for the first time from us. Um, That would seem strange, especially with all the questioning and stuff that went on. So at least to note that she was inaccurate about, those events and as you pointed out that sticks out like why not just if there's if there's nothing going on here and again there could be nothing going on it seems the most rational thing is just tell the facts as they are
3: or use the passive tense Derek was driven to the hospital yeah the passive tense can cover a multitude of sins so says George Orwell
4: yeah I'm not smart enough to get in my head and know to do that but others, others like you are. So, <laughs> but it, just things that stuck out to me. Um, I, I will say this case is sad and my hunch is that we'll just never figure out what happened there. And regardless of what happened, I think I put up, I, I put this in my post the other day on Facebook, but regardless of what happened, the, everybody that was in that room is living with the trauma of that night and, and, and all that came with it. and, Uh, none of this is easy stuff for anybody that's involved
3: yeah the other question is if Derek were screaming loudly then the question is was he screaming loudly enough to wake up Nolan's brother in the living room on the couch and what did the brother see or hear
4: yeah and I guess we will wait to see if we ever hear anything from that or if you get the dvds back and they show that conversation having taken place but that you would think that's a key person you'd want to question and figure out at least in terms of their hearing what what they heard that night yes they would also be able to comment on the flurry of things that happened in that amount of time like you know you could speak to why this took so long or maybe you can reasonably explain it in a way that we go like oh like that's how 53 minutes happened
3: and if we can get the interview of bonnie and her husband then we can find out at least what her story is as to what they found out and when when right yep so
4: now we'll just wait for florida and law enforcement there to hopefully do their job uh, completely this time
3: yes anything else from you my friend No, it's been a heavy subject, and I am glad that everybody who has stuck with us has stuck with us. It's an important case. We want to follow up on it as best we are able in order to try and shine as much light on it as we are able. I think that it's fair to say that when I made my request for documents and uh, other things from the Orange County Sheriff's Office, I was under no illusion that I would be able to solve this mystery from what it was that I saw But at least five or six law enforcement officers and maybe around two or three doctors weren't able to figure out. It's just I want to find out what it is that was going on and find out what evidence they had and what the different witnesses said so that we can figure out as best we can what it was that was going on, that we can have the information available to us that was available to the law enforcement personnel and that was also available to the person who created the child fatality summary that was previously found on the internet and was talked about by us back in August.
4: Do you want to mention at all what we're doing uh, next week?
3: Would you mention that? Because I think that you're in charge of it. You're better situated to do it. And at least one good thing is that it's going to be a lot lighter subject, I think. So
4: you're going to have to remind me only because we've been talking about two or three shows that we're going to cover in the next two or three weeks.
3: Yes. Yes. I think okay. we've been talking about five shows that we're going to cover in the yeah, next four well, or I, three yeah, weeks. Let's...
4: I know that it was my week next week, but we agreed that something certainly was uh, important to to kind of fit in. And so um, anyway, I, I don't even know offhand, off the top of my head.
3: Well, David Bakavoy has a brother and his brother has produced a film, which is premiering at the latter part of this month. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. It's an indie production, and maybe it'll go to Sundance. I don't know. I'm hoping good things for it, but he's going to be able to come on. I think it's... Is it Brent? I'm sorry. I don't even know at this point. I've been so consumed yeah. with everything I've been doing today. This has been plus a big this.
4: Week, long week.
3: And it's been a heck of a day. I mean, mm. my gosh, things are going on all over the place, and I yeah. apologize. But he... Okay, David's brother, David Bakovoy's little brother, is what we'll call him. He's going to come on. He's going to talk about the history of Mormon cinema. He's got a great presentation, and he's going to tell us about it. Tell us about his movie, which I think has to do with little factories and abusing. Mormonism live better than touching your own little factory. Yeah. So
4: there it is. So that's, that's what we'll that's what we'll cover next week.
3: Yes. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Sleep tight and pleasant dreams. Okay. Bye-bye, everyone.